Welcome to the Keystone Church Podcast. Keystone Church is located in Keller, Texas, in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. Now, let's prepare our hearts for this week's message. Where does your mind go when I say the word monastery? It's probably not a word you've thought a lot about lately. But what did you picture in your mind's eye when I say the word monastery? Maybe some of your mind goes to an old stone building. Others of you, maybe you think of a nun. Probably a lot of us think about monks, like we think about the monks. And when you start thinking about monks, you can start to picture different monks that are famous. There are famous monks, by the way. You've got St. Thomas Aquinas, a famous monk and church father. You got St. Benedict, he had more hair than St. Thomas Aquinas. Maybe you think about like groupings of monks, medieval monks that kind of would walk, you know, together and do things together. Maybe you think about that. But more than likely, most of you, when I said monks, you think about the most famous monk of all, this monk right here. <laughs> yes, my man, Nacho Libre. Chacho, when you're a man, sometimes you wear stretchy pants in your room. We're gonna talk about deep stuff like that today. If you're ready, say yeah. yeah. The reason I'm talking to you about monasteries is that there's an understudied period of church history that involves a group of people called the Desert Fathers. So I want you to lean in and listen. We're gonna go to school for just a little bit, okay? So we also know that this period in church history uh, was the beginning of monasticism. Uh, monasticism comes from the Greek word alone, and these men, these church fathers, these desert fathers would draw away. And today what I wanna do is I want us to discuss a small part of the history of Christianity because it's very important that you understand what our faith is tied to and attached to. Christianity comes from rich history and orthodox. We're not some come late faith. We haven't just shown up in the scene and it's a brand new thing. No, what you believe and what we're a part of, we are in the row of a long line of believers. And we are living in a time, I believe, that those of us that are Christ followers, those of us that belong and are a part of the church, we must know what we believe. We must be bold about what we believe. We must have clarity in our theology. We have, must have clarity in what we know about God. And, and, and just to let you know, there's a learning curve for all of us. We all have a step to take in learning and discovering more about God. I don't care if you've been walking with God for 50 years, you still have a next step. And the kind of church that Keystone Church is, is we invite people into those next steps to learn and to discover how to live our lives unlocked, to, to walk and experience and carry, come on, listen to me, the very presence of God, the very presence of God, that, that you can walk and you can experience him in a very real, real way on the daily, not just on Sunday. You can experience him and so many of us we have a misunderstanding of what the church is. And, and I believe that because of our misunderstanding of the church, we're missing out on part of our calling as the church. We, we gotta 
look back. Sometimes it's helpful to, to, to look back to move forward, to reach back to move forward. And so part of on the front of this is what we're doing is we're just gonna reach back. We're gonna look at what the church used to be. We're gonna look at what the scriptures tell us the church is and why it was founded and grounded. Who established the church? We have some great church fathers that are inspirational to me and I, I read them and I study them and uh, your pastor and I are nerds and we like to read a lot about this kind of stuff. And one of those guys is the name, by the name of Polycarp, church father, Bishop of Smyrna around 155 AD. He was pressured by the, the Roman Empire to renounce Jesus. And this is what this man said. Listen to his words very closely. 86 years I've served him, and he has done me no wrong. Come on, who can just testify that he hadn't failed me yet? How can I blaspheme? Come on, yeah, he's not failed me. That's a good clap. How can I bless, blaspheme my king and my savior? And here's where he just sort of leans in and is aggressive and bold. You threaten me with fire, which burns for an hour and is then extinguished. But you know nothing of the fire of the coming judgment in eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. Why are you waiting? Bring on whatever you want. Where are those kind of men and women today? Where is that type of church? I believe that God is calling and God is inviting us to be that kind of church, those kind of people. So Polycarp burned the stake simply because he would not burn incense to the Roman emperor and yet the church grew. The church didn't just grow, it, it flourished. It, it caught like wildfire. The way that these men and women were living their lives and how they were operating as the church, it stood in such stark contrast to the rest of culture and society and their neighborhoods and how people treated one another, the way that the believers treated each other, but not just each other, the people that were nothing like them. It snapped the heads, it turned heads as Christ was put on display, his love and his, his heart to save lost humanity. They, they could see it. They didn't, they didn't just have to show up somewhere and, and hear about it from someone else. They can see it in the individual's lives and then they would also come into a community, a collective community called the church and God was moving in such a phenomenal way. But in 1313, in this Edict of Milan, Constantine brought the Christian church under imperial protection. And although this ended the brutal persecution, Constantine's imperial endorsement and favoritism for Christian leaders, it brought a new cultural secularism and permissiveness within the faith. In other words, the church began to get weak where it once was strong. The church began to sort of blend into the culture. The, the church began to step back from lines that it had drawn in the sand. The, the church began to, to just sort of uh, look more secular 
than holy. More like the rest of society than the people of God called by God to bring heaven to earth. And this is where corruption in the church began. Priests began wearing long, ornamental, elaborate robes. They spoke from elevated pulpits and vast cathedrals that were constructed through state money. And so this is where the Desert Fathers come back in. These OGs, these, these, these men, in an effort to, to get back to the more pure way, the Jesus way, to be the church that Jesus established, they, they begin to step away from that space and that place called the church then. And it's from the Desert Fathers that we get the first monasteries. The Desert Fathers, listen to me, they had wild encounters spiritually, wild angels and demons, they were so serious and devout about walking in the ways of Jesus that they actually trained their bodies like athletes. I know we have a lot of athletes here. You know the dedication and the commitment, the things that you do, the way that you eat, the habits that you set and form. These men began to set spiritual habits so that they could become more like Christ. They understood that they were being transformed, and in so many of the spiritual disciplines that we know today were established by these men. And, and these men, they lived such radical, provocative lives that people would come out to learn, and they would create schools of discipleship out of that. It's kind of like what's going on here at Keystone. People are living such radical, provocative lives People come out. They want to know how to walk in the ways of Jesus. So you may be thinking, did I show up to the wrong church? Why are we talking about monks and monasteries? Well, it's because of a few things. First, I believe that when we study the epistles and we study the birth of the New Testament church and the early church, we see men and women of faith and men like the Desert Fathers we see that their understanding and passion with Jesus in so many ways looks so different than ours. And that challenges me. I don't know about you, but I want more Jesus. I want, I want to experience him more. I want to know him more. But the reality is, is that we can be as close to Jesus as we want to be. Because he's not dodging and playing hide and seek from you today. And neither is he a distant deity looking down, hoping to zap you when you do wrong things. No, he is a God who is trying to bridge the gap relationally that was broken because of your sin and my sin. He's the heavenly hound constantly searching you out. You may find yourself here today. And as you sit in the church, you feel like, I don't belong here. No, I want to correct you. You belong here. Because God is your creator. And God loves you. And you have a place here because God has a place for you. And so these men, you look at their lives, you look at the early church, and it's just so challenging. And they, they had practices, and they had disciplines, and they lived their lives in such contrast to ours. And I think what's sad is that some of us have just sort of thought that, well, Christianity is not working for me. 
It's not working. It's not, it's just not, it's not getting me the results that I want the want Christianity to get me. And, and the reality is, is that there's some things that maybe you're not yet received, uh, revelation and understanding that you're not yet walking in. And I just want to encourage you to keep coming, to keep putting yourself around teaching, keep putting yourself around uh, men and women who are pursuing Jesus. Do not throw in the towel. And, and I, wanna, I wanna suggest to you today that Jesus invites us to be mobile monasteries. You see, they, they kind of cloistered away and had their little monasteries, and yeah, they did some equipping and it was incredible and they sent out but Jesus invites you and he invites me to be mobile monasteries, men and women who live sent, men and women who live life on mission, but not just as individuals, but as the church. Y'all say church. church. Say it like you mean it, church. church. We're meant to live sent. And today, we're gonna look back at one of the most basic, but I would argue the most important practices of a follower of Christ. If you're ready for it, say yeah. yeah. You're doing it right now. The weekly gathering of the church. This was a habit for the early church. This was a part of their lives. This was a part of their rhythm. And some of y'all are like, oh no, here we go. This guy, this is it. He's just gonna try to beg us and twist our arms to get to, to church more and make it more of a priority. I'm not gonna beg you. I'm not gonna twist you. But I am gonna challenge you that if gathering weekly is not a habit and somewhere in your life you're like, Christianity's just not working for me, could it be, could it be that you really haven't given Christianity a shot? But because Christianity comes out of and is expressed by the church. What it is again? The church. The church. And so we wanna look at this, this gathering, this weekly gathering, because one of the reasons that Christianity today looks nothing like it did back then has to do with our understanding and our view of the church. There's a lot of jacked up views of the church today. For, for some of us, the church is only a place that we go once a week. For them, it was who they were every day. For them, the church was understanding that the means of bringing heaven to earth was through the church, but for many of us, church is about just bringing heaven to me, baby. For them, the church was something that they gave themselves freely to, why? to see the kingdom of God ushered in to their individual lives, to their family lives, to their places of business, to their region, to their city. And for many of us, church is something we treat like a commodity. And we give ourselves to it only if we enjoy the preaching, worship, and programs. And nothing wrong with any of that. But it's for purpose. It's all for a reason. And oftentimes, we are guilty of allowing a consumer mindset to follow us into church. And the result is that simply we're missing out on what Jesus intended the church to be. Uh, church is a now something we only go to when it fits our calendar, when it's convenient for us. Can we talk for a minute? 
Hello. When it just fits. When there's nothing else on the calendar, yes, Keystone is my church. But I got other things happening. I got soccer games. I got travel. I got to go hunting. I got to go fishing. Listen, nothing wrong with any of those. But they should not be at the center of our lives. The scripture says that we are to prioritize the gathering. We're, we're supposed to prioritize the church. Hebrews 10 says this, listen to it. Let us consider how we to spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. As some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. As some are in the habit of doing. I'm curious this morning, what are you in the habit of doing? What's just a part of your weekly flow? It just comes with the week. What are you in the habit of doing? You know, once you form habits, your habits form you. And so again, there's some of us, we're frustrated because we're struggling with the same things and we're walking in bondage and we have some, some sins that are secret that we cloister away and hide from everyone and we're just like, man, it's just, it's just not working. And could it be that one of the most basic but most, one of the most important habits that you can have is to gather weekly? Because in that, you are in a, in, a, in a place of light. In that, you are in a place that declares truth over your life, freedom over your life, grace over your life, purpose over your life. That's this place. If it makes your calendar consistently enough, it'll eventually make you. What are you being made into? Let's just, just be honest. It's just a... It's just an honest question. It's one of those look in the mirror moments where we just say, what are my habits and how are they forming me and how are they shaping me? Recent studies say that 83% of Americans are not a part of church and do not attend church. And maybe you're like me, that that was your reality one day. I didn't grow up in church. I'm an army brat. Shout out to all the men and women in our military and who have served. Thank you so much for your services. I was born in Frankfurt, Germany, moved to Florida, lived in Alabama and North Carolina, Tennessee. Mom and dad grew up in the church. They were both Christ followers, but they stepped out of church. It used to be a part of their habit, but when they got out of the home of mom and dad, it was no longer a habit. And my parents' life, it wasn't like completely wills off. On the outside, it looked, oh man, you know, just the average white American family. But on the inside, my father struggled from extreme PTSD. My mother was an alcoholic, high-functioning closet alcoholic. And so in the middle of all this, I'm not going to church. We would go every now and then. We would go to a, a Methodist church, and the typal church doesn't matter. I just say that because maybe if that was your context, I'm, I get you. I never get really got it, though. I didn't understand, like, why the guy was in a robe, right? I mean, I dressed like Brandon. 
Why is he in a robe? And why are we going down and kneeling and, and drinking grape juice and eating crackers? I, didn't, I just didn't get it. I didn't understand the theology behind the methodology. I just didn't understand it. I didn't know why all old churches stink. They have a smell about them. I just didn't get it. But really, the most pressing thing was it just did not seem to be relevant for me. It landed nowhere in, nowhere in my life. And that may be where you're coming from. Maybe you're coming back to the church for the first time in a long time. Maybe you were a part of a church and like me, you were like, I don't get it. And I don't understand it. I don't understand anything that that person is saying up there. And I'm not connecting to the songs and I'm not connecting to the liturgy or any of this. I don't understand it. And I, I want you to know that the reason we do, Keystone does church the way it does it, the methodology is steeped in rich theology. It, it wants you to understand and know God, to experience him, that life unlocked through his son, Jesus Christ. So why do we even do this? Why does the church gather? Well, first we gather to glorify Jesus. And this worship team leads us in that way in an incredible way every week, do they not? And I love what Pastor Brandon and Pastor Dan said, that it's not about a show, it's about bringing him glory. One of the reasons we gather, and one of the reasons you should make it a priority in your life every week to gather, is that when we gather, part of the purpose of the church is to glorify Jesus. The Bible says that when we praise him, it commands the presence of God. Ephesians 1.12 tells us that we are to live our lives for the praise of his glory. The way we say it around here is we sing loud. There is a reason why we gather. There's a purpose in our gathering. And one of those at the top is to lift high the name of Jesus, to Exalt the name of Jesus. And we live in a world that tells us to exalt us and exalt everything else. And we need weekly in our lives moments where we get it right. And we put our eyes on the one who is worthy, the only one is, who is worthy. And that is Jesus. And so I'm talking about rearranging and rerouting your schedule to make him first. Why? So that weekly... You worship him with other believers, with other people. Another reason we gather is we gather for the equipping of the saints, what we're doing right now, being trained in righteousness. Now here's the reality. We live in a day and age where you can go on a podcast or Spotify or watch on YouTube. You can watch a lot better preaching than what you're getting right now. Come back next week. Pastor Brandon will be back. You're gonna, you can get it teaching anywhere. So, so why, if, if it's about sitting under teaching and preaching, why do I have to come to church to do that? I can get the best pace. I can get better than what you're giving. And better act, hurry up, I'm hungry, right? Well, there's something about sitting under the preaching and teaching of God's word as a faith family, as a spiritual family. Because number one, there are very specific words that God wants to say collectively to you as a church. And your pastors labor and pray to hear from God, to be able to deliver a word for the church. How many of you know there's things that we can do in this region together 
that we cannot do alone. And so this teaching, this preaching, the equipping of the saints, it, it helps us grow. There should be an ever-increasing gap. Let's say this is the old me. I'm dead in, I'm dead in Christ. I'm dead spiritually speaking. I've not accepted Christ. I've not called on the name of Jesus to save me. The moment I do, now there, there's the old me, and now I'm, I'm a new man in Christ. The scripture says I'm a new creation. And there should be an ever-increasing gap growing from the old me towards who I am now in Christ. And there will always be a gap until you get to heaven. So some of you have been walking with Jesus for a really long time. Can I just tell you, you still got another step. And you're gonna have another step and another step until you see him in glory and you are made perfect and righteous and all the sin and all of that stuff is all, all gone and you don't have the old you still vying for your desire and attention, but there's this increasing gap, old me, new me, and I'm walking towards Jesus. Sitting under teaching and preaching helps me do that because there's such a learning curve. I know when I first became a Christ follower, man, I had some broken messed up things in my life that looked nothing like God's best for my life. Some things that made more sense to me. There were things that my body liked that God says, I don't want you to do that right now. There were things that I had habits of doing that, that God says, that is not my best for you. And it made no sense here, but as I studied the word and as I began to walk with Jesus, there was a conflict. There was a learning curve. So why is it that we're important to gather to sit under teaching and preaching? Because I know that's true for you too. Come on, you got stuff in your life just like I do. Come on, that old man still urges us back and tempts us back and we have this learning curve. So we come for the teaching and the preaching of God's word as part of the purpose of the church. And there's something about sitting by someone while you hear teaching and preaching that knows your business. Come on, you listen to it a little bit differently. Every now and then you get that side elbow. And then you go, and maybe you find yourself in a moment of weakness, a little slippy slip. Come on, anybody had those slip ups? Who's grateful for the heavenly mulligan? Come on, somebody, right? We slip up, and when I've sat by a friend, a brother, a sister in Christ, a family member, and they see me living in a way that's contrary to the truth, they can in love say, come on, Pace. Bro, that's the old you. We're, we're walking away from the old you. We're walking towards freedom. And that's why it's important that Christianity is not meant to be a solo sport. And then finally, we gather to reach the lost. You need to know that about this church. We gather purposed to reach the lost passionate about what God is passionate about. And I would just challenge you, study the, te the parables and so many of the parables that Jesus taught. Parable of the lost coin. Parable of the lost sheep. Leaving the 99 to go find the one. Parable of the prodigal son. Jesus said, I come to save not those who are healthy, but the sick, to reach the sick. So part of the reason we gather is that every week there are people here who are spiritually dead. 
And Jesus has orchestrated them coming, and maybe that's you today. He's orchestrated you. I know you felt like somebody dragged you or tricked you or invited you here, but the heavenly hound brought you here. Christ himself has you here because he's wanting to bridge that gap. It's one of the reasons we gather. It's the purpose of the church. So listen, the kingdom of God is not coming through the government, in case you haven't noticed. Salvation is not coming through education. It's coming through the church. And there's a lot of different beliefs about the church. There's a lot of different things people say about the church. Honestly, some of it I'm really tired of hearing. Because it may be true of some churches, but it also may not be true of all churches. Some would say, oh man, just look. All the statisticians would say the church is in decline in America. Uh, look around. Church does not look like it's in decline. Church looks like to me here in Keller, Texas, in the South Lake area, that she's thriving. She's living on mission. And so as we look at the church and think about the church and what people say about the church, I want you to see that God is still building his church. And you and I, listen, we should be defenders of the church. Some would say, oh man, church is something that you go to on Sunday. No, it's so much more than that. The church is a spiritual family living on mission. Oh, the church is full of hypocrites. I saw this guy that goes to that church and he was in a club. Well, if that makes him a hypocrite, what the heck were you doing there? It's full of hypocrites. Oh, the church is where just two or more gathered. And man, where I live, they worship the outdoors and they love to elk hunt and they love to ski and they love to fish and I do all that and I love to do all that and I think you can experience God in all those things. As a matter of fact, many of our men are elk hunting right now and I'm praying that that bullet finds that heart so that I get the backstrap of an elk. But when they say, Pastor, I'm in the mountains having church, Sorry, sir, you are not. It's not the church. It's not the church. You see, what you believe about something determines how you approach it and how you prioritize it. If you think that marriage is about your happiness, then the minute your marriage disrupts your happiness, you begin to be unsettled and you're looking for a way out. And if you have the wrong perspective and you don't have a biblical understanding of the church, the minute things don't go right for you in a church, you begin to look for the way out. And all the while, you need the church, I need the church, we all need a spiritual family. Listen, people have church hurt, I get it. But let's just establish something real quickly. Help me out. Is there anyone here that's perfect? Raise your hand. Anyone, come on. In the back, anyone. I'm putting my hand real quickly down as well because I'm not perfect. And so if you're not perfect, bro, I'm certainly not perfect, and we're the church, what's that say about the church? It's not perfect. We're being made perfect. So the next time you wanna give a Yelp review to the church because the coffee was too cold or you know, it didn't treat you the way you hoped it would treat you, and listen, we believe in excellence, it reflects the glory of God, but the next time you begin to treat the church that God established as something that is meant that for you just to come and pick and choose and just be a consumer instead of letting the church to consume you and letting the church to do the work in you and do the work in you and through you, Hey, listen, check yourself. Not because I said it, 
but because God said it. Don't attribute to God what man has messed up. And we've messed up at church a lot. But it didn't have to stay messed up. Come on, let's be the church, right? We gotta have a, a great biblical ecclesiology. Nerd word alert. Ecclesiology is just simply the study of the church. And Pastor Brandon, I love that this is all in your flow. A lot of churches that'd be like, don't have any idea what you're talking about. You're a learned church. But why you were created is intrinsically connected to the church. Listen to me, the, why God knit you in your mother's womb, why he formed you and created you, set destiny and turned it in your heart, is intrinsically attached to the church. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is the one who Christ is returning. The church is who Christ died for, and if it was his priority, it should be our priority. What is the purpose of the church? Very simply, the purpose of the church is to be the primary manifest presence here on earth. The church, not government, not education, not other nonprofits, all those things are great, can be great, can be very bad, but the purpose of the church is to bring heaven to earth. So listen, if heaven's gonna show up in your home, into your addiction, into your friendships, into your relationships, into the schools in this region. Heaven's gonna show up through the church. And so we have to learn to prioritize the church. I love what another pastor and great teacher said, the illustration that he gave in regards to the church being God's primary manifest presence here on earth. Pastor Tony Evans said that we need to think about church as an embassy. He said if you're ever in a foreign country and get some type of trouble, it's best that you get to an American embassy in that country, why? Because that embassy is a little bit of America in that country. It is sovereign and it does not belong to the country it is in, it belongs to the country it is from. And as people of God, this is not our home, we are only visitors, we are sojourners. And we are called, we have been invited to the king's table and he's told us to go to the highways and byways and anyone that would eat and anyone that would partake and anyone who would hear and anyone who would receive Jesus can receive salvation. This is the purpose of the church. We are not from here, but we are meant to make impact here. Listen, the church is not a spiritual country club. The church is not exclusive don't get, let me trick you with that word, exclusive, inclusive. The church is not exclusive. Now, now Jesus, he's pretty inclusive because he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So there's the inclusivity, I can't say it, inclusivity of the church because of Christ, the only way to salvation. But it is exclusive in that Jesus, that God said, God so loved the world. Sounds pretty, like, all-inclusive to me, right? So the church is not exclusive. The church is also not a religious people who major on minors. Man, you can go to some churches and they'll tell you everything they're against. Not this church. You're gonna hear about what we're for and who we are as kingdom people. The origin of the church will wrap with this. Matthew 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's asking them that question, who do you say that I am? Peter, of course, says, uh, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus says, Peter, uh, man did not reveal this to you. Um, you've heard this from the Father. 
And then is what he says in verse uh, 18. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Do you hear that? I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Jesus said he will build his church, and he's building his church. And as long as there are broken lives, there will be, always be a church advancing. As long as there are people that are lost, there will always be a church advancing. And there's a couple of things that we've got to grab a hold of in this scripture where Jesus is teaching and establishing the church as we know it today. First is Peter's name. You remember his first name was Simon. Jesus gave him an upgrade, made him Peter. Because Simon means pebble. Isn't that cute? Come here, pebble. Yeah, pebble. But then Jesus changes his name, and your name becomes changed too, Christ follower. When you accept Jesus, you are a new creation in Christ. And then now he calls him Peter, which means rock. And then Jesus says that on this rock I'll build my church. Now this word rock does not mean Peter. It actually means stones hewn together. Pebbles united to make a rock. Pebbles coming together to be and do what they cannot be alone. And we are living in a season, we're living in a time in history when now more than ever, the world needs the church. The world needs stones. Later on in 1 Peter, Peter says that we're living stones. We're, we're, we're being brought together. We're, we're, we're being built into a, a spiritual house, which, by the way, Keystone would be a pretty cool name for a church. But we've got pebbles and pebbles and pebbles, and we're meant to be rock, rock, rock. And I just wonder what it would look like in our homes and in our schools. I wonder what difference it would make in our city, in our state, in our nation, what kind of ripple effect we could have if we begin to see the church the way Christ established the church. And we begin to prioritize our lives around the things that Jesus established. Would you stand to your feet just as we close? As you do, would you just lift your hand and say, I'm the church. We'll say it on the count of three, one, two, three. I am the church. Say it like you believe it. One, two, three. I am the church. And now can you reach over and put your arm around the person to the right and the left of you? And now would you say, we are the church. And a church united is a powerful force. Culture is so bold right now. Secularism so bold right now. So bold. And may they can defend what they believe, and yet so many of us in the church are divided. We're individual pebbles. And I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you, and I would say it's critical for you to stop being a pebble and be a part of the church. Let's see what God's going to do. Great things are ahead. Breakthrough, freedom, liberty, Life change, family trees being changed forever. All as we move in unity as the church. We're going to gather 
every week, what are we going to do? We're going to lift up the name of Jesus. We're going to sit under preaching and teaching. We're going to learn what it looks like to be people of the way and to, to follow Jesus. And you know what? In the middle of that, we're going to be effective in reaching the lost because we were lost. I was lost, but now I'm. I was blind, but now I. Come on. Father in heaven, thank you for your grace. Thank you for Jesus, for salvation that's found in him alone. Thank you for the church. Thank you that the church is advancing here in Keller, Texas. Thank you for what you're doing through these people. And Father, I pray that your spirit will just continue to pour out on these people, these men and women, these students, that they would be bold in their faith, clear in their faith, not perfect, but willing to take next steps. And Father, I pray that you would use them in a mighty, mighty way. I pray for the days where every room continues to be overflowed because the lost are being found. I pray for the continued loud praise of this church. People sing in the glory and the goodness of Jesus. Father, thank you for our time today. Thank you for convicting us, for strengthening us, and encouraging us. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To learn more about Keystone Church, please visit us at keystonechurch.com.